Hey guys, Brandon here. We'll get you to the show in just a second. And if you want to listen to that 90s baseball pod early and ad-free, make sure to sign up at patreon.com slash that 90s baseball pod. Subscribers at any level get the show as soon as it's created, early and ad-free. Now, for our sponsors, we have eParade, which is reasonably priced, trendy kitchenware. That's E-P-A-R-E dot com. Promo code 10T90BP10. So that 90s baseball pod, T90BP, with 10 on either side. Symbol.app, that's S-I-M-B-U-L-L dot app, is the stock market for sports. If you use the promo code Bender, you get a free week of Symbol Gold. Hinterland Coffee in Minnesota is a freshly roasted coffee experience every single week. Monthly subscriptions get 10% off. Go to hinterlandmn.com. Three-star sports cards, you can find them online or in person in Bloomington on Lindale Avenue or in Little Canada on Rice Street or threestarsportscards.com. And finally, Humility Chains. Royce Lewis's mom, Cindy, makes stylish, affordable chains and necklaces and bracelets that go, uh, the proceeds go directly to the Nigu Foundation to help children fighting cancer. So a portion, again, of those proceeds go to the Nigu Foundation to help children fighting cancer cancer more than 20 styles of chains and bracelets are available they're affordable they look great i'm wearing mine right now i highly recommend them it's humility chains on etsy so look up etsy and then search for humility chains and now on to your show another episode of that 90s baseball pod i'm your host brandon warren and you can find me on twitter at brandon underscore w-a-r-n-e and joined as always by greg olson you can find him on twitter at g-r-e-g-g-o-l-s-o-n mr olson how are you doing today i'm good brandon nice to see you again yeah some uh technical difficulties so i'll apologize ahead of time if this is uh Less less than the quality people have grown accustomed to with that 90s baseball pod, but maybe it's a throwback to the 90s and where technology was at that point. What we have in store for today is another fun, very special guest. He played with someone by the last name of Greg, two Gs. He also played with the other Greg Olson. But you guys met up, I believe, in 1994 in Atlanta. It's left-handed pitcher Kent Merker. Kent, welcome to the show. Appreciate it, guys. Good seeing you both. Ollie, it's been a while, man. Yeah, it has. It has been a while, but it's great having you on, brother. Appreciate you coming on and talking some ball with us. Yeah, look not forward first, to it. Not the first 1986 draft pick from the first round that we've had on. If people remember, we had Greg <laughs> Swindell on a while back. So we're just making the way through the 86 draft and left-handed pitchers and that sort of thing. Um, that was the year well, I was well, born, hey, so he's, I, Plus, he's a lot older. You, you got to get to him because you don't know how long yeah. he's going to be around. So Nice. I'll, we'll make sure <laughs> we'll make sure and circle back on that one. I'm sure he'll be delighted to hear that he's old. But, um, yeah, really excited to have you. Uh, we, around here, we just talk about stuff that happened in the 90s and, and stuff adjacent to that. You obviously pitched a lot longer than just the 90s. So um, we'll have some fun with it. How does that sound? Sounds great, man. And uh, what are you up to now? Look at after that. I'm actually working as a baseball agent. Uh, about three years into retirement, my agent, Casey Close, with Excel Sports, reached out to me and asked if I wanted to come join him. 
So I've been doing that the last eight and a half years, uh, which has been great. It, it's kept me around the game uh, without, as Oli will tell you, without having to do the six months away, eight months away from the family. It's, it still allows me to get out there, see some games, talk baseball with some kids, and uh, and still spend a lot of time in my own bet. So it's it's a win-win for me. Perfect world. I'd love to uh, love to have had you uh, represent me, knowing uh, you know your background and intelligence and uh, just Wait, having you around. Fill me in on this background of intelligence, please. I said background, I signed background, it. background and intelligence. Again, what intelligence are you referring to? You didn't pick up on that in Atlanta that brief time we were together, did you? Because I, I did the crossword right. puzzle. I mean, I well, crossword puzzles. Yeah, you did crossword puzzles, and you, know, <laughs> you, you could you could answer questions that were directed at you. So I, you know, just assumed. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Now you. I answer ones that aren't even directed at me. Times have changed. <laughs> All right, I gotta ask. You got? Uh, I think I counted twelve teams. Nine. Nine. So you. But, that's what I was going to ask. Do you count? Do you count the other three as twelve, or do you go back to nine? Because I count mine as ten. I got the Royals twice. Okay, then I'm twelve with the Reds three times, and the Braves twice. Yeah, that was what I was kind of looking at. I was going, yep. okay, how are you doing? I, I, I always look at it at nine different teams, but you're okay. right. I, I went. I was in Cincy three separate times, and then in Atlanta twice. That's a compliment that they liked you enough to keep bringing you back. Yeah, or that they got rid of me twice. I suppose. I kind of like they like me, so they brought me back, even though they of course you know, they did. Like the, the Royals decided they didn't want to pay me what I should, you know, deserve. Right. But then they let me loose, and then the next time I was available to be picked up for free, I was hey, I, they got to we got to pick me back up. No, you know what though, you're right, Ali. Like it, it or Oli, it's it's it uh. I think it does show that a little bit. I know when I went back to Atlanta in 03, like Bobby Cox told me, he goes, Merck, we know what we're getting on the field. We know what we're getting in the clubhouse. We, we know how you are with the guys, you know, and a lot of the guys when I, you know, left in 90, at the end of 95, a lot of the guys are still on that team. So he knew I would fit in and I wouldn't be a distraction and I wouldn't be a problem. So there is something to that about teams and managers, you know, wanting the same guy back with, you know, obviously more diminished skills at that point than I had in 92 and 93, but, uh, but yeah. You know, I'm just going to give you a warning. Brandon's probably going to have a question for you that you've never been asked before. Okay. I'm holding him off a little bit because I'm just kind of curious. You went from starter to reliever and, you know, ended up having a nice career as a reliever. How did you do that? Was there anything special that you did or did you just – continue to adapt to the game you know it, I didn't have a choice one right so I like I like being in the big leagues uh what I've preferred to start my entire career yes but at the time the the demand for a starter in Atlanta wasn't there they needed a reliever so it, it probably got me to the big leagues quicker and again I with Bobby Cox you don't really complain a whole lot about your role you don't even bring up role unless it's for, for breakfast and you're putting butter on it. That's the only role you talk about. <laughs> uh, and yeah, I just acclimated, man. And, and, you know, Phil Necro was, was the bullpen coach when I first got there and oh, wow. couldn't ask for a better guy to kind of just, you know, you know, Nuxie laid back, relaxed, obviously had the pedigree he had, knew everything you needed to know about the game and pitching. And just to be able to sit there, you know, for three hours a night, and just listen to him talk and ask him questions was a great learning experience for me. But, uh, you know, as far as adapting, I just, I just broke it down simply. Like, you know, obviously your role, you were a one inning guy and came in and shut the door. That's kind of how I approached starting was just go out one inning and shut the door one that first inning, then go back out and shut it for one more inning. So I kind of kept a mentality as a reliever when I was starting uh it probably worked less than it or it didn't work more than it did work but uh i just to me pitching was pitching 
you know, it was, it was one objective getting everybody out. I wasn't a starter that paced myself in the first because I thought I'd have to go seven or eight. I'm like, I may not be around in the third, so I'm just going to go at it as hard as I can, as long as I can until the score dictates I come out or my pitch count. So I just always had a, I guess I always had a relievers mentality, even when I was starting. Nice. Yeah, no, I mean, it makes a lot of sense. And that's kind of what we're seeing now in, in Major League Baseball is the guys going as hard as they can. And, and who knows how long they're going to be in the game. But uh, now I can appreciate that aspect of it. Um, well, right? they've kind of today's game, they've, they've devalued the starting pitching, in my opinion. Absolutely. You know, I mean, I can't imagine we're talking 90s baseball here, right? Can you imagine guys, some of the players we played with? If you tried to go get them after five scoreless innings, it, it wasn't going to happen. No. Oh, yeah. I mean, well, David Wells, Matt Smoltz, Glab. I, I just – honestly, every starter I played with, there would have been issues if they went out there after five innings. Or if – imagine this. Imagine Maddox showing up and Bobby saying, hey, we're, we're going we're gonna to use Merker as the opener, and then you're going to come in like the third, <laughs> third inning and finish the game. How's yeah. that going to go over? Well, I'll just, <laughs> you know, I mean, going back to the 90s, you know, I came up with a five-man bullpen. You, oh, yeah. You, you went five, and we're yep. trapped for a day, you know? Yep. It was just yep. the way it was. And then it was like, we got a six-man bullpen to, to pick up a little bit of help maybe after one of a bad start. You're going, looking around, going, way too many guys in this bullpen for me to get to my work. I can't Remember imagine that? sitting there now for 10 and 11 guys. Oh yeah, remember they almost every every at the beginning of every season they a lot of teams would carry one or two extra relievers till the starters got their you know legs under. Yeah. But then you were just you were just hoping in April you pitched your butt off because you knew they were going to send two guys out in <laughs> in, in, yeah. in May, right? Once once the starters were were stretched out a little bit, so yeah, those those days are over. That's, those, uh, those days yeah. are long gone. Yeah, I probably we probably won't see it. I mean, it's been effective bringing in one guy after another, throwing ninety-seven miles an hour, and it's like yeah. rinse and repeat for the next inning. But yeah, no doubt, is what it is. All right, let's uh, let's go to uh, nineteen ninety-one and had an argument on Twitter. I don't know. I got to find you on Twitter, but had an argument on Twitter that a, a multi-pitcher no-hitter doesn't really count. How you feel about okay. that? Kirk? You know, my mom disagrees 100%. <laughs> I'll tell you that. You know what? Listen, I don't care if it counts or not, to be honest with you. You know, the th I, person I do think it counts, a team no-hitter, right? It's a yeah. team game. I'm not uh, – I don't take credit. When people ask me, you have two no-hitters, don't you? I go, no, nah, I've got one and two-thirds, right? That's, that's how I say it. And then, you know, Wollers came in for two. Pena came in for one. And – the Braves threw a no hitter that day, right? That's how I look at it. Whether yeah. you know, I don't know if the if that wins the argument or loses the argument, but it just explains my stance on that. Well, I just kind of ran through it, going, "Well, how many uh, multi pitcher no hitters are there in history, and then how many hundreds of one man no hitters are there?" Yeah. So what's more difficult? Well, that know? was actually the first combined no hitter in the National League when it happened. There was one other one in the in the American League. Yeah, that was me. That was you. That's right. Yep. See, we had one. This, we, had, we had them the same year in '91. Yeah. Right. That's and you guys had what four pitchers or five? Yeah. Uh, Bob Malacky got hurt in the sixth inning, and then it was uh, Mike Flanagan, Mark Williamson, and myself. That's right. Yeah, that that was '91. I forgot yeah. about that. Yeah. So. Yeah, so I guess by your standards, then I have one ninth of a no hitter. I'm not digging that. <laughs> yeah, but you got the most important out, dude. I, I thought ours was pressure packed with the two to nothing thing, but you guys were one to nothing. Well, and and only that the thing that was crazy about that is is so literally this happened to me twice. It happened again in '93, but I show up to the field that day, and I forget if it was Charlie Lee Brandt. Or, or, or maybe Balecki. I, I forget who it was that was supposed to start. So I show up. Leo comes and grabs me. He says, hey, when, when whoever it was, we'll say Charlie. When Charlie goes down before the game to warm up, I need you to come down because he doesn't know if he can pitch. Because I'd been in the bullpen all year. And I think 
the most pitches I threw probably were 50 at any given point. And so sure enough, I go down there. He can't go. Leo flips me the ball. I start warming up. I go six no-hit innings. And this was when we were trailing the Dodgers. This is when we had that huge second half. This was in September where we were, we were actually playoff battle. So I wasn't even thinking about, you know, because someone asked me, well, why didn't you ask to go back out there? I'm like, listen, I'm not going to argue with Bobby one, but we got a one nothing lead. We need to win this game. Like, I'm not going to be selfish and ask to go back out there and go into the 80s and 90s and pitches when I haven't done it all year. But, yeah, so that's how that happened. Um, it, you know, it wasn't planned for me to start. It was, hey, you're starting. Wow. It happened in 93, too. Same thing. And I went six no hit against the Padres in San Diego and got pulled. Did you really? Well, that one didn't finish up. What happened on that one? Wollers gave up a hit in the eighth. We ended up throwing a one hitter. Yeah. Wow. Crazy. Yeah, that was uh, that was about the most stressed that I have ever been in in, in, in a game. <laughs> you know, we got Oakland. I got the middle of the lineup. I got a two nothing. Oh. I, I could I could walk a guy and give up a bomb, and there goes no hitter in the game in just a heartbeat. I'm like, this is miserable. You know, I was walking, I was pacing around the bullpen out in right field in Oakland, going, "All right, breathe, breathe." That wasn't a bad lineup either, was it? No, yeah, I get I got Baines to end the game. I'm like, yeah, it's oh, I can't get him out in a regular day. Now I got to get him out in this situation. Well, dude, Alejandro Pena, he was the polar opposite of you because he came in, got the save, and then as he was walking off, he threw the ball into the stands what? over the dugout. He didn't even know it was a no hitter. He had no clue because when we're getting him, they're like, "Yo, grab that ball." He's like, "Why?" He goes, I've got enough saves. I don't need to keep my save. He, they're like, it was a no-hitter. He's like, oh, my. You should have seen his face. He's like, I had no idea. He had no clue. Wow. That would have been a lot more, that would have been a lot more fun. Right? <laughs> a lot more fun. Right. All right. Well, tell us about the next one. I believe it was April 94. Yeah. First start first of the year. Ball. Yeah, which was crazy. And, and, and again, to preempt it with – so the 91 one, then in 93, it happened again, right? But yeah. didn't finish it. So then I go to spring and Bobby just pulled me aside. He goes, listen, you've done everything we've asked you to do. It's your job to lose this spring. We're, you're going to break camp as our fifth starter. Uh, so go out, relax this spring, do your thing, get your arm built up and, and let's go. So we actually open up in San Diego that year for a four game Thursday, Friday, Saturday, or I'm sorry, a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday in, in San Diego. And here's the pressure I got to deal with was I think Maddox went game one, went like eight scoreless. <laughs> Glavin pitched game two, eight scoreless. Smoltzy went game three. I think he went like seven and two thirds, struck out 12. And then Avery comes in with like seven scoreless. And we're four and oh, heading to LA. And I'm like, this is great. So I'm going to start Friday night in L.A. Uh, really no pressure, to be honest, as far as we're 4-0. But next thing you know, it's I go through that six scoreless again or, or six no hit. And I'm coming in waiting on Bobby. I'm just assuming uh, he's going to come and get me. Same reason. Pitch count got up. You haven't thrown that many pitches in spring training. Yeah. At the time, I think it was 2 nothing or 3 nothing. Uh, I just assumed I was done. So I kind of was looking around and Leo's like, you looking at, and I'm like, am I done? He goes, oh no, you're not done. So anyways, they roll me back out there. Uh, and I'll tell you the best part, the best part of that game, which, which, you know, LA gets a bad rap that fans show up late and they leave early to beat traffic. Well, I came up to hit in the top of the ninth. And Chan Ho Park made his debut. And everyone still thinks Tommy tried to show me up by the first Korean-born Major League Baseball player. But I, I hit that inning, and I got a standing ovation when I came to the plate in, in Dodger Stadium, which I was like, wow, that's pretty cool, right? That's really cool. And wow. then went back out for the bottom of the ninth. I had to face, who was it, Butler? 
Piazza and Caros. Nice. And they were on their feet from the first pitch in the night. And I'm sitting there on a, a visiting mound. I didn't even get standing ovations at home, let alone on the road. So <laughs> I'm just out there. And, and honestly, that crowd got me through that because they were more excited than I was. And I was just out there. I was tired, but that momentum, that that vibe they gave me just from being on their feet. And, and you remember that one guy that always wore the hat behind Dodger? Oh, Stadium yeah. and he had the, he had the radar gun. Yeah, Dude, that's uh, that's the first time I'd lost focus during maybe any game in my life where I noticed something outside of the mound and the catcher. I could see that dude every pitch. I could see it, and he was getting fired up. So that that was a lot of fun. And 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 actually, the best part of it was so all that goes on. Do my interviews. Everyone's popping champagne and blah blah blah. Well, it's about time for the bus to go. Bobby calls me in his office and he goes, hey, great job, lefty, this and that, blah, blah, blah. Just letting you know we got the off day Monday. So I'm going to skip you to keep the other four guys on their normal turn. So I didn't even get to make my next. I threw a no hitter and got bumped. <laughs> Think about that. <laughs> I got bumped. That's a tough rotation. to. Uh... And I couldn't complain. I said, yes, sir. Like, what am I going to say? You can't say anything to Bobby. No, no. Uh, what uh, did you get the traditional? Nobody sat near you. Started moving away in the sixth. Everything they did. Somebody actually. Well, Avery knows me and Smoltzy know me, so they they were kind of talking with me because they knew I didn't want to be on that island. Because I'd look at them and say, "Guys, you can talk to me. Don't worry about it. I'm, I don't believe in that stuff." Uh, someone asked me if I wanted a coffee because it was kind of cool, and Lemmer goes, "No, don't give him coffee. Don't wake him up." And I'm like. Like I was sleeping and I, and I, I remember telling Lemmer, I go, you were right, man. I was, I was in La La Land right there. So just let, let me go. Don't bug him. But no, nah, it was, it was awesome. And you know, what's cool about it. Just the excitement that my teammates had after I, after I completed it, just to, I look at the video, still watch it from time to time. And just to see how excited Fred McGriff was when I flipped in the ball and he picked me up and like, it's just cool to see that your teammates got your back like that and, and the support they gave. And they made some really good plays for me. Dion made a, a good play, Terry Pendleton. So it, it wasn't without, without some, some stellar defense, but uh, yeah, it was a fun night. That's awesome. That is awesome. Brandon, what do you got? You've been uh, so patient. Yeah, I'm usually not. Uh, when, we talk about the pitching that went through Atlanta in that era. We talk about Leo Mazzoni, Bobby Cox, John Schuerholz collecting the guys, and obviously the talent of the guys, yourself included. Was there anybody in the minors that kind of helped round that together that maybe people don't talk about enough that helped put you guys on a path to becoming, you know, the preemptive pitching staff of the 1990s, at least the early 90s for sure? Well, you mean as far as coaching or, or. Yeah. 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 Just any, any sort of mentorship, you know, there, there's uh, like um, Bobby Cuellar taught Johan Santana, the changeup and that sort of thing yep. coming through. So is, was there any sort of like ace in the hole that Atlanta had that maybe people didn't know about? Cause everybody again knew Leo Mazzoni was a pitching guru and obviously you guys, your talent alone stands on itself, but was there, a constant in the minor league side that got you guys prepared well, for what was to come? I think I, it wasn't one person. So like Smoltzy, Glavin, myself, Avery, we all actually came up with Leo in the minor leagues. Like okay. we, he was in the minor leagues coaching all of us. But what Leo did is he had a throwing program that he learned from Johnny Sane back in the day. And it, so I guess his presence was always in the minor leagues because of the throwing program, which I think most people, at least going through it, would say that it was very beneficial to you for arm strength, arm health. It was more throwing, but it was with less exertion. You, you learned your mechanics better. You could repeat your delivery more easily because you were more on the mound, more throwing more bullpens. And he had a, a full minor league coaching staff pitching coaches and the, and the coordinator that bought into it. So, you know, they say there was a Cardinals. They always say you hear about what, what, there's a Cardinals way of playing baseball. Well, there was a Braves way of pitching back then because, and I still think to this day, 
it's probably there's still some remnants of it, but we just all came. We all got put on this program, no matter if we were high school kids, college kids, you know, first round pick, 20th round pick. We all got, got put into this program. I had the benefit of actually having Leo as my AAA coach, you know, to, to apply it directly. But all the young pitchers, the Millwoods then that came through, uh, Jason Schmidt, all those guys, Jason Mark, all those guys that ended up having good careers, they were all on that program. So I think it wasn't one person. It was a system that guys bought into and saw the benefits. And I mean, I don't know if you know the history of it, but I forget how many starts those four guys went without missing a turn, which is unheard mm -hmm. of. And yeah. if, you, if you threw that program out there today, these people would say, you're crazy. You're going to blow these kids out because they're pitching too much. <laughs> what, um, what, what was the, the culture change or how did being a, an Atlanta Brave change? Because you were drafted by the, basically the Dale Murphy Braves. Again, you were a high school kid. So you weren't, you weren't at the forefront. You weren't one of those guys that were going to rush through like you were some kind of Greg Olson superstar. Um, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> I like that look he gives me, but, um, the, you know, there were some dark days at the late of the 80, late 80s and you come up and things turn around. Obviously, everybody knows worst to first, 90 to 91. How did all of that evolve from the time you joined the Braves to the time when you guys really started clicking in, in 91 or even when Bobby took over in late 90? Because, you know, there's there's anyone that played for Bobby will tell you this. He trusted you and you could trust Bobby. Right. So what we were afforded, which, again, doesn't happen today. Tommy Glavin was seven and 17 his first year in the big leagues, right? John Smoltz was four and 12. Steve Avery was three and 11, you know? So I think I was four and whatever my first year. Bobby basically told us, you guys are the future, right? You're as good as anything we have here now. They're getting older. We're coming up. He didn't wait. He wasn't worried about service time and when to start a guy's clock he wanted to win at the big league level and he knew the guys had an idea. And there was a lot of position players in this boat too. He knew that mm -hmm. this is a good core group of guys. We're going to give them the opportunity and they can learn at the big league level. Cause we're going to lose 90, you know, we've lost 80, 90, hundred games the last three or four years. Anyway, why not get the new guys up here, the young kids, teach them how to lose, which that's part of playing in this game, right? You got to learn how to lose too. Uh, and get them up here, let them get acclimated, and, and hey, we'll give them their opportunities. If you fail, we're going to give you the ball again. If you fail, we're going to give it to you again. If you keep failing, we're going to start giving it to somebody else. So it gave you enough pressure going to the big leagues as it is. Now you know you're not looking over your shoulder every time you give up a two-run homer where you're going to get sent down. You knew Bobby had believed in you. You knew your the coaching staff believed in you. And – you could go out there and kind of relax and just go learn how to be the best version of yourself without the added pressure of being worried about getting sent down and going back to the minor leagues. And I think, and he had a simple set of rules. You show up on time, you play the game right, and you don't embarrass the Braves. Those were the only rules. And it didn't matter if you were a rookie or if you were Dale Murphy. It was the same set of rules for everybody. Everybody bought in. And I think, again, I don't wasn't around when, when Russ Nixon was there. I liked Russ. I wasn't around when, forget who Eddie Haas was there. So I don't know what the culture was then, but it was pretty obvious what it was going to be with Bobby. We're going to play the game, right? We're going to play it hard. And you guys are going to get an opportunity to learn up here. Don't embarrass yourself. And, and that was basically it. And, and again, it was an awesome job. You didn't want to lose it. So you did everything you could to make sure you were on that roster. How, how quickly in 91 did you guys know you had something? Probably. September 29th when we clinched. Oh man. No, I mean, it was one of those, I'm telling you, we trailed being, we, I'm, you have to look this up, but I want to say we trailed and this could be, I could be making this up until the last day of the season. I don't, I don't think we were ever, the Dodgers started out on fire that year. If I remember correctly, and that's easy to look up and then you can tell me I'm wrong, but Put it this way: If it wasn't up to the last day, it was pretty darn close. Uh, we got 
Biggest lead in the division of two games and a grand total of 25 days in first. So not very long. Okay. So, the, okay. <clears throat> well, but it took, and we were tied going in. We won, we beat Houston the last day of the season and we had to watch on the big screen. San Fran was playing LA. Cause if we, if San Fran loses, we go to LA for yep. a one game playoff. If, if San Fran wins, obviously we win the division. So we knew we we knew we had a really good team, second half especially when we just started. I forget what our winning percentage that half was, but it was pretty darn special. And we, we just we just felt it. It was the same guys that played in A ball together. You know, I played with David Justice and Mark Lemke and Blauser. Like we all grew up playing together in the minor leagues. Now we're all up here trying to figure it out at the big league level. We knew how to trust each other. Right. We, we, we know each other. We hung out together. We, we enjoyed spending time away from the field together. It was like a family. It sounds corny, but it, it's true. <laughs> All of a sudden you start getting a little momentum going and now you don't feel like you can lose. But I don't think any of us until we saw that last out uh, standing on the middle of the baseball field out in L.A., we didn't we didn't believe it. So you guys were 87 and 67 on september 27th two games out you won eight in a row clinched and then uh lost to pete harnish pretty good pitcher yep. on uh game 162 but by that time you'd clinched so that eight game stretch is what did it for you guys there at the end which i was i was unaware of before now um i didn't start watching baseball till 93 which is a really bad time to become a minnesota twins fan i might add <laughs> but um but yeah, so you guys lost four of five, and then you won eight in a row and sealed it. So there was something to be said about going into the postseason hot. Uh, no question about that. Yeah. Well, and, and with the pitching we wow. had, I mean, we didn't have Maddox yet, but, yeah. you know, you, that was a pretty good rotation. Pete Smith was unbelievable, I believe, down the stretch that year. But, uh, yeah, we just – it was it was a good – and, again, with that Pirates team we beat, they were no, they were no joke, right? I mean, since he right. beat him in 90, we beat him and end up beating him in 91 and then 92 again. But, you know, you got Van Slyke and Bonds and Bonilla and Don Slott. And I mean, that was a heck of a lineup. Uh, and they had a great pitching staff. So it was it was still one of those things. And and I think what helped us guys was at, at the point when we got to the playoffs, we, we were the worst team in baseball in, in 1990. Right. It says on our rings, worst to first. We were playing on house money at that point, meaning, right. yeah, let's go. Let's let's try to beat Pittsburgh, but we're not going to be tight. Like there was more pressure on them because they were perennial there and they they weren't winning. So there was probably more pressure on Pittsburgh to win than there was us because no one even thought we were going to. Yeah. You guys have done – if you lose four games in a row, you still had an amazing season because you got to the playoffs. No one thought you would. So we just went out there. Again, trusted each other, showed up, played hard, played right, and, and ended up pulling it out, two game sevens. Wow. Yeah, that was, that was fun, uh, fun group of guys. Um, yeah, it was. Any, any favorite? Uh, uh, we all, you know, Maddox is legendary for his. Uh, <laughs> uh, I can't tell my favorite Maddox stories. You know that. I know, I know. I, getting, anything you can. Dude, you know, it's, it's possibly share. I still, I still talk to him occasionally <laughs> and I, I, there's not an interview I do or go on the radio that it, it, a Maddox, come on, give us a Maddox story. So I've, I've kind of asked him over the years, like, and he hasn't sent it to me yet, but like, Hey, send me the list of stories I'm allowed to tell that, that you're not going to get all pissed <laughs> off about. Right. You should turn, you should turn around and make it a book and then sell it and uh, make some money off it. <laughs> dude he's I mean what can you say about that guy like first of all the best pitcher I've ever seen put a uniform on uh, just the way he dominated yeah. was ridiculous uh I, I remember this one story and it's not even a bad one but it's just it's just total him we were in I, I ended up charting this game because I started it was against the Giants in 90 I think 94 or 95 but he went complete game through like I actually remember he threw 84 pitches because he threw 72 strikes and 12 balls over that nine inning game wow. which I remember counting them up going I missed like a two innings or something but 
so it's August in Atlanta. So it's warm. So he comes in, you know, he's over there sitting in his locker getting undressed. Well, he does like sniff test. He takes off his underwear and he kind of throws them in the bin and then just puts his street clothes on. He didn't even shower. And I'm like, Dude, you just threw like 85 pitches. He goes, well, I'm golfing in the morning. I'm just going to sweat in the morning anyways. I'll just shower after that. Mm. But, and then, of course, Chipper's infamous story he's told where it was Chip's rookie year and he had a couple good at-bats. And so Maddox was in the shower, not with him, but with the group. And so Chipper tells the story that he's like, yeah, I'm sitting there. And, dude, I got Greg Maddox asking me about my at-bats. Right. Like he's sitting there right looking, looking me right in the eye. And he's he's going, what were you thinking about? You know, when you saw the slider and he goes, I'm answering him and people are laughing. I'm wondering he was peeing on Chipper the whole time he was talking to him. He didn't give a shit. No. About he, he, he didn't care about his bats. He just he was peeing on him the whole time. And and, and he can't get mad at me for telling that one, because I've heard that one a few times from Chipper. Yeah. But that's just the stuff yeah. he did. I mean, it, that was it, mad dog. Oh, God. Is Greg is Greg aware of what we in the baseball community call a Maddox pitching wise? Do you know? Do you, are you aware of it? Uh, like the professor? Is that the? No, no, no. I mean, if you pitch a complete game shutout oh. with a under a hundred pitches, that's colloquially colloquially. I can't say that word. Yes, uh, it's known in the community as a Maddox. Oh, really? Maddox. Yeah. So do you, I don't know if he knows about that, but I'll, um, bet, I'll bet he doesn't. Yeah, <laughs> the baseball community calls that a Maddox. If you can throw a complete game shutout in under a hundred pitches. So it's funny that you bring that up. And I, I wasn't sure if he was even aware of it. No, I don't think he is. He, he, uh, didn't he throw one CG in Chicago that was like 68 pitches? I think he had like a probably, 68. but you know, what was really cool. And this happened in Oh three. This is, Dude, he was so unassuming, and he had no idea how good he was, right? He just thought hitters were stupid. Like, he, he goes, I'm not even that good, dude. All I do is locate. You know, if you want to be a smart pitcher, just locate your pitches. And I'm like, we all try that, dog. It's just not that easy. But <laughs> but he uh, – I remember in, in 03 when I got traded back, I got to pitch the, I think, seventh or eighth inning. And I didn't even realize what was going on, but – he, he broke one of Cy Young's records and it was, I'm like, that's the level he's gotten into. But think about this stat. This is the craziest stat will never be repeated. He won. It was his at least 15th win for the 17th consecutive season. Think about that where he won a yeah. minimum of 15 games and Cy Young had the record at 16 seasons. Doggy won his 15th. And that that broke size record of most consecutive seasons with at least 15 wins. And what's that? That shows wow. you help. That just goes to health, right? Because you can't miss a couple yeah. starts and still plan on winning 15 in, in baseball. That's unbelievable. That that is unbelievable. I did not know that one. That yeah. Is yeah I, well, I, and I was in that game, and I'm glad. I'm glad I didn't know. I'd have been the one that coughed up the run or two, and now all of a sudden he, he ties Cy Young. You don't want to tie Cy Young. Uh, yeah, you gave him the El- you gave him the Alejandro Pena treatment there of uh, flipping the ball into the stands and everything. Yeah, exactly. Oh gosh. Um, when you look at all the players who went through Atlanta in that ten to twelve, even the entire span of your career, I feel like not many teams had more characters. You talk about each of those guys. You talk about um, Chipper. You talk about, for better or worse, John Rocker, uh, Jeff Francoeur. I feel like Atlanta fans were not only blessed by good baseball and a national network on TBS, but they had guys, Andrew Jones, they had guys who kept it interesting too. Well, and, and that's the type player Bobby wanted in his clubhouse, right? It's, it's not when you talk about, and now in my business, when I'm talking to scouts about, you know, draft picks, one of the biggest, one of the biggest things they look for now is character. Like they know they've got a good fastball. They know they've got all the stuff that that's going to play out on the field, but they want to know what kind of guys they are. Uh, Makeup. I remember, I remember this story, Bobby Cox. And, and I want to say it was 93. John had his Sherholtz had a chance to get bonds for the remainder of that season. 
And Bobby goes, uh-uh. I don't want him on my, I don't want him around my young players. And we ended up getting McGriff instead, which ended up working out just fine. But Bobby, I, I almost think the character isn't, the guys are good character guys before they get there. Right. Mm-hmm. Because that's the type of player John would go after and Bobby would want around in, on his, on his team. Even like guys like Oli, great guy fit perfectly when he came over there, like didn't skip a beat. You know, there's not, you can't say that about every player. Well, Bobby wasn't going to, wasn't ever going to do anything to jeopardize that chemistry in that clubhouse. And so I think it's, it's, it's some coincidence that there are that many good guys, but I think it's more a matter of just the whole culture in that clubhouse. And, and it brought out the, the good side of, of everybody, the fun side, guys that may have been a little bit more reserved and quiet, opened up a little bit more, saw the personality. Mm-hmm. And when you're winning, by the way, as much as they were winning 14 divisions in a row, that kind of puts everyone in a good mood as well. But yeah, you get yeah. the right players, but he got great character. Guy. And again, it, it goes back and I'll harp on it. It goes back to Bobby's simple rules of play the game, right? Play hard and don't embarrass the team. Right. He treated men like men. He didn't treat us like boys and, and he got yep. the best out of all. You know, I got there. I mean, I got there in 94. I found out when I got there in spring training that uh, you, uh, they had tried to trade for me in 93 and uh, didn't work out, obviously. But um, you know what? It, it, it always felt like to we me. We could have used the 93. Yeah, that would have been that would have been a lot of fun. Um, but it felt like to me that, you know, the, you guys had stars, Justice, you know, McGriff, obviously the pitching staff, but they were never bigger than anybody else. You know, and that was, I think that was what went to that culture. And maybe it was just being around, you know, Chipper comes up and he's around all these guys and they're just normal guys that are great at baseball. And, you know, then Chipper goes through and has a solid career and is just a solid citizen. And you just kind of go through it. And it's like, you, you just wonder, I mean, it ain't that easy to do. You know, it isn't that easy to to not have one guy in the clubhouse that, that doesn't rock the boat. And uh, it, you know, like you said, it goes to Bobby. Yeah, it does. And and I think only to that point, that's why having one set of rules for everybody. If you were yeah. if you were Fred McGriff and you were a minute late, you were getting fined, right? If you didn't run a, I remember a time he took Andrew Jones out. He didn't run a fly ball out. He took him out, pulled him said, you're going to sit right next to me the rest of the game if you don't want to run. <laughs> or I'll send you to AAA. If you want to not run balls out, I'll send you back to AAA. I don't care. Like, he just was – and you respected it right away, or you didn't, and you were gone, right? Yeah. That, that, was, that was the difference there. Like, like I, I laugh about getting skipped in, after my no-hitter. Had I said, Bobby, I think I've earned the right to start in five days – he would have got me a plane ticket to AAA, and he yeah. goes, go start. Back to Richmond. Yeah, that's, that's what he would have done. So, you, you know what? You, you went along with it. And, and his way of looking at it was we didn't have any super – we didn't have one superstar. In his mind, we had 25, right? Yeah. Like, I'm going to treat you all the same. Whether you want to consider I'm treating you like a rookie or a superstar, but it's going to be it's going to be equal for all. We couldn't play music in the clubhouse. Remember, we had to have headphones on because, you know, this guy might not like your music. You might not like his. I don't need people fighting in the clubhouse over rap music versus country music. Like, it's not going to happen here. And guys didn't complain. They just said, fine. And they'd put their headphones. Yeah, I remember David Justice, the one time DJ said one thing to Bobby because DJ came in, got his ears pierced and he was loving it. And, you know, you can't take him out. When you first get him, I guess, because the hole grows back. Well, Bobby said, you ain't wearing that on the field. And he's like, well, Skip, he goes, no, you can take it out, put fishing line in there or something. I, I don't care, but you're not wearing jewelry. I don't let team guys never wore jewelry. Couldn't wear Oakley's. We wore the old school flip downs, right? He just had a simple set of rules and everybody bought in. I remember Bobby Bo told me, I ended up playing with Bobby in, in, or when 96, but I saw him again with what year was it where they signed Bobby and BJ Surhoff in the off season. So two, two big free agent hitters. And Bobby told me the story that, you know, they had, you know, how we have our first day when all the 
players report to spring and GM talks and Bobby manager talks. He just said he looked at the position players and the pitchers were all kind of sitting on their side doing their thing. He goes, hey, guys, we've got some really good free agent hitters in here. we got a great lineup. He goes, but that's why we win over there. So when you see some of these guys leaving spring training, they get here at 9.15 and they're leaving at 10 and you guys haven't even started your first round of BP, I don't want you to say a word because that's why we win, not because of you. And, and I remember Bobby Bo thought, holy shot. Yeah. No, I'm making five million a year hitting 35 bombs. And he told me, and, he, and I go, what'd you say? He goes, I just said, yes, sir. You know, and that was that culture. That, yeah, that, I mean, that was that was a wake up call getting there in 94. And it's like. The pitching staff, Maddox, Glavin, Smoltz, you were out the door by 10 a.m. Oh, yeah. Oh, and the I'm, golf course. I'm sitting there looking around and Maddox never showered. So he would do all his work and then just put on the clothes and go. And I'm, I'm just sitting in the clubhouse going. Um, that's we're, we're going to we we run 10 sprints. That's it. What you know, what are we doing? That's and, it. You guys, I mean, I'm barely in there. I might have gotten a drink of water or something. And I look around and you guys are gone. I'm like, <laughs> well, you can't play 54 holes that day if you don't start by 11. <laughs> that was that was beautiful. It really was. I was just like looking around, going, okay, what a change of uh, change of venues here, going from Baltimore, where we're out there shagging BP and running 40 poles, and then you know I go to Atlanta. It's like, all right, go down the right field line, do 10 sprints, and I was like. Well, we shag and they go, are you serious? No, yeah. no, you guys don't shag. You know, we got guys coming over from the minor league fields to shag. That's exactly yeah. right. Well, he didn't, want, he didn't want guys getting hurt out there. You know, what's he going to say? Because you know how Smoltz he was. Smoltz, he'd be, we'd be playing power shagging 500 for money. Smoltz, he's diving mm -hmm. for balls in the gap, trying to scale the fence. So Bobby's like, no, nah, this ain't happening. You guys are not allowed to shag. Which, like you said, that's the only organization you'll ever hear that. Yeah. No shagging for the pitchers. Can, can you walk us through the personality differences of Smoltz, Glavin, Maddox? Because I have to believe, you know, everybody views them as the trifecta, but they had to be completely different. They all completely different. Uh, Doggy was, I won't say the funniest of the three. Smoltz, he was hilarious as well. But as far as pitching, Doggy was the professor, right? Like he, he went out there, he had a game plan, he executed. He, he very seldom, if ever, uh, varied from it because he, well, because he executed a lot, didn't have to. But he was, he, you know, how to describe it? He, he was quiet the day he pitched, right? But, but he, he wasn't so uptight and tight the day he pitched. Glav. Glav was just, and it's cliche, but just had ice water running through his veins. Like you, you couldn't tell, you know, you've heard this walking in the scoreboard doesn't have power. You couldn't tell what inning, whether he was winning or losing. Uh, just that, that hockey mentality that he brought with him. You know, he was a fourth round draft pick by the LA Kings, I think. Uh, so he kind of had that blue collar. I'm not the biggest guy. I don't throw the hardest, but I'm a, I'm just going to compete. And I ain't giving in to you. And that, that was more his demeanor. And then Smoltzy, Smoltzy was the guy that was high energy. You know, before the game, he had to, he couldn't sit around and, and wait for the game and overthink about it. So he was the only guy allowed to play video games actually before games. Bobby uh, let up on that rule for Smoltzy because otherwise he'd have just sat in his locker or walked around just going crazy overthinking about the start. So he was more of a guy that had to be distracted. Uh, obviously, all three different pitching styles. Smoltzy was pure mm -hmm. power. Uh, Glav was the guy that I don't know how he did it, but he'd throw over half changeups. You know, 100 pitches, he'd throw 60 changeups and 40 fastballs, and he won 305 games. I mean, that just goes to show just the bulldog in him out there. And then Maddox was Maddox. I mean, that guy make a ball move. 18 different directions from 60 feet and dotting that's ass with it. You know, that's what made him so good. But, but they'll tell you this too. Uh, they, they, they motivated each other because you didn't want to be the guy 
that didn't pitch well, right? So one would go out and just dominate, and they'd be like, you know, I don't. You'd hear him say it. Well, thanks for leaving me an out, doggy. You gave up one run. So now they would next one. Glad would try to go out and go shut out, and he may give up a run. Then Smoltz, he would, and it did. And and Avery fed right in. Dude, by the way, Steve Avery was as good as every one of those guys till he got hurt. I mean, mm-hmm. Ave was. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so those four guys, they just fed off each other, and you didn't want to be the guy that that gave it up, and it motivated. It was the game within the game. And I've heard him say it a bunch of times on interviews. And next thing you know, you look up, you're winning 18, 20 games personally that year. And, and you're not even really paying attention to your personal stats. You're just trying not to fall behind the other guys. And, and they were all battling during the same year. I forget, was it 98 where Glavin Maddox and Smoltz were like all finishing the top five in Cy Young voting. It's like, you can't miss, you can't say, oh, I need to skip a turn in this rotation because my arm doesn't feel good. Uh-uh, because then you fell behind and you were out. So those guys just kept each other going. And it was fun to watch. And I think I think the hitters fed off it. I think I know I did as the fifth starter when I was. Like, there's zero pressure on me, but I wanted to be one of those four. So it motivated me right. to do that. I feel like we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about the 91 World Series, Greg. Is that next on your list? You can go. No, go ahead. Well, I mean, it just it's it's regarded as one of the best World Series of this generation or the past generation. And uh, as you can tell, I'm a Minnesota sports fan, or at least I was then, and I cover the Twins in part now. But um, what a legendary series that I've only gotten to see after the fact. Can you kind of walk us through the emotion and the feeling of it as it was going on? It was unbelievable. So for me personally, and I think most of the guys on that roster, this was pre-interleague, right? Yeah. I had not been to an all-star game personally, so I'd never been stepped foot in 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 an American League stadium uh, for one, and then had never been in a stadium that was that loud. That was the first dome. No, I'd played in the Astrodome, but I, I can't even explain to you Again, we're playing on house money, right? We, we somehow, now we're the miracle team, 91, worst to first. Uh, we're playing a perennial, very good American League club in the Twins with Kirby Puckett, Herbeck, Dan Glad. Like, you go through these guys, I'm like, oh, my gosh. I, I remember watching these guys in high school, right? Now I'm, now I'm potentially going to get ready to f- face them. But when we got there, we didn't know what to expect. You know, we were told – outfielders don't take your eye off the ball you'll lose it in the roof things like that but when that game started it was so loud and the bullpens for me personally you were sitting right kind of like Wrigley like you didn't have a shelter you were sitting on a bench and the fans could literally tap you on the shoulder and ask you a question Mm -hmm. but it was Mm -hmm. so loud and just the way it went you know Obviously, Jack Morris did what he did, and and I'm glad he's in the Hall of Fame. But to go down 2-0, we're like, you know what? Yeah, we're bumming, but, man, this is so much fun. Then to win three in a row at home, now we're going back thinking we're winning this thing. We've got momentum on our side, and then we ran into pocket. And that was the end yep. in that game six where I think it was – was it 2-1 or one nothing, But – uh I can't explain to you how much fun that was, even with losing uh, the experience, those, what do they call them? Homer Homer Hankies. The Homer Hankies all just white. There was a rumor that they would turn the air conditioning on when they were hitting though, because then the ball carried, we don't know. We had to blame something. We had to blame somebody. It's real. They admitted to it after the fact. Did they really? Oh yeah. No, I could, I was on the mound in the ninth inning Look, you know, bunch in the Metrodome, and it was like, oh, that's a nice breeze coming from behind. <laughs> oh, see, we didn't know if it was real or not. We just, we just, but no, that was, I'll tell you what, man, it had to go down as one of the best World Series ever. It really, it really did. And, and the way Jack went 10 that last game, just bossed it up. That's unbelievable. Yeah. To win one. I, I got to have- I, I got to ask one more before we let Oli back in, too. You played with Deion Sanders. What was it like playing baseball with Deion Sanders? It was awesome, man. I got to play in Atlanta. 
And then when I went to Cincy in 97, my first time in Cincy, Dion was there. Oh, yeah. Dude, Dion was one of the best teammates. I don't know anyone that you would ask that played with Dion wouldn't say he's one of their favorite teammates. The guy knew how to have a good time, knew when to be serious, played the game hard, loved to win, was an amazing competitor. People don't know about Dion because they saw him, you know, at Florida State in his interviews in the fur coats and all that. He was just a marketing master. The guy didn't cuss. He didn't drink. He didn't do drugs. He wanted to play cards. He wanted to play these silly games. Uh, Tetris. We had rock, paper, scissors, competition, just stupid stuff, right? But he was un- unbelievable to play with. And, and I tell you what, had he played only baseball, would have loved to have seen what he could have accomplished because mm-hmm. he wasn't afraid to put the work in. and. Nothing more exciting. I didn't get to see Bo in person do it, but nothing more exciting than watching Dion hit a triple. Like it was just well, unbelievable to see how he'd pick him up and put him down and was just standing on third base. He could play. He he could he could get on base. He could walk. He had an eye at the plate. It, it wasn't just, hey, this is a spectacle. This is this yeah. guy can really go. And I suppose defensively, the speed alone would make him at least respectable. Yeah. Well, and, and if he would have, if he had 12 months a year to devote to just who knows, sky's the limit with that guy. And he had some pop too. People don't realize he had some, he hit better on the field than he did on the football field, right? Reputation wise. <laughs> hey, Probably. He'll yeah. be the first, but he'll be the first to admit it too. But you yeah. know what he told us? Cause I remember a lot of guys would be like, you know what, Dion, man, I, honestly, I had a bad read on you before I met you. He goes, everyone does, Merck. He goes, it's on purpose. He goes, you notice all these fans or wherever they were. He goes, half of them are here because they hate me and half of them are here because they love me. He goes, but they're here. Yep. I said, you're right. Genius. He's a genius. He's a genius. Yeah. No, we're seeing that now at uh, where where he's at coaching football and uh, at the Aflac commercial with Saban. It's like doing pretty well. He's He's a businessman. And he's yeah. done a really good job of it. Yeah. Wow. Merck, we've had you for about an hour, brother. Um, Wait, what's the question that you said Brandon was going to ask that I've never been asked before? Well, I was hoping I touched on Tom. I do have a – we could do a little Kent Merker trivia to let you go. That's <laughs> fine. Not really. No, that's fine. All right. I, <clears throat> I have uh, I have your head-to-head numbers with batters pulled up. Oh it's, God! It's all in good. It's all in good. It's all in good fun. Uh, I already know. I already know one of them. It gets a little painful, what? Mark. There's a couple guys that I got gotten on, and I was like, going, what? What batter did you face? I already the know the most? one. Most plate appearances. Oh wow! Forty-two. It's forty-two plate appearances. All right. I know Bonds is close, but. 38. I'm going to go with Tony Gwynn. 42, Tony Gwynn. It goes Gwynn, Finley, Biggio, Bonds, and Grace. So that's a pretty, uh, that's a who's who of 1990s ballplayers. Yeah. Um, yeah. And notice they're all in the Hall of Fame, and I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> well, it just means you're a good dude. Well, I lost. Yeah, I think we lost. Uh, I think we lost Brandon. Lost your audio. I think I got muted for a second there. There, there you go. It was working out better that way. <laughs> All right. We got you. Am I back? Yep, yeah. you're back. Well, this is the issue that we had earlier on. That was that. Uh, we could hear Brandon, but he couldn't hear us. So uh-huh. we might be uh, – well, we got an hour out of it, brother. I was looking forward to the Kent Merker trivia, but maybe we'll have to yeah. have it another time. I was one for one. <laughs> I was off to a good start, man. I, yeah, I think, I think mine was like Tony Phillips or somebody like that. And I was going was – I was like, yeah, every one of them was miserable because he made me throw about eight pitches, you know. Um, I'm going to text Brandon right here, but, uh, appreciate having you on, man. It was awesome. Great. No story. problem, buddy. Great catching up. Love doing it. Talking to you. Um, 
hopefully we can do it again soon. Yep. Hey, let me know if you're going to be out of, out and about spring training or I don't know what cool. you're going to do, but let's get together. Yeah, I'm working, uh, trying to trying to hook on uh, with a, a one team or two teams and just kind of going back and forth a little bit. So we'll see if I if I get down to spring training a little bit, I'll check in and see where you are. Who are you? Who? What teams? Are you not allowed to tell yet? Uh, I don't really want to talk about it yet. Okay, got gotcha. you. But um, I'm no. back. Sorry, he's right. back. I was getting ready. I, I think you get closing us up. Okay. Well, um, I hope it's still recorded. Uh, so I'll, I'll go over the last ones. We'll let you go. Uh, 14 hits. One guy had 14 hits off you, the most against anybody. Uh, do you know who it was? Uh, I'm going to go with Larry Walker. Walker had 13. Dante Bichette had 13. It was a lefty, though. Okay, so. Well, damn, it might have Broad, been. Fellow broad, nope, fellow broadcast type. Wow. Arizona Diamondbacks broadcast. Oh, Finley? Gracie. Oh, Mark Grace. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, Not much damage, one though. Guy, no. And so one guy had four homers off you. Yeah, he was drafted in the same round as you. It had to be, well, it's not Sheffield. Nope. It's got to be Matt Williams. Got to be Matt Williams. Matt And then here's – Here's a good one for you. Who did you strike out the most? 11 times. Lefty uh, outfielder and teammate of Greg Olson's on the legendary 1995 Buffalo Bisons. Not, not Brian Giles. Nope. You got, the, you got to get the other corner Burnett. outfielder. Burnett. Jeremy Burnett. Dude, yeah, you know what? He was uh, – one, think, one for 27 against you. Holy ooh. smokes. Dude, it's in, 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 dude, and I played with Bernie, and Bernie's a great dude, by the way. Yeah. Uh, but, dude, <laughs> I remember facing him once. He hit a line drive up the middle right between my legs. It hit the rubber and just chip shot it over to second base. To, like, there's nothing he could have done. It wasn't because I was that much better. It was literally – he would hit a ball on the screws right at somebody every time. But I'll tell you the one guy, Jeff Conine, I, I, he's like 12 for 10 off me. <laughs> oh, I know. It's unbelievable. I think, I think everybody's got a guy like that where it's just uh, you, can't, you can't get him out. Yeah. And I, eight I, for 10. Eight for 10. Holy smokes. Dude, what's, what's Jeff Kent off me? Jeff Kent. Uh, 12 for 28. <laughs> what about uh, Roland? What about Scott Roland? Scott Rowland, let's see what we can find here. This is a, a an excellent little statistical database that I have for work. Uh, six yes. for 19, so. Dude, you know what's amazing is, well, for me, my, my favorite stat, and I've, you said I faced Bonds 38 times, right? Uh, I believe that's accurate. Look uh, how many, 38, yep. Look how many times I walked him. None. And he told one. me. He told me that. Oh, he. He has a uh, he has a 263 on base and a 270 average. You literally got him for a sack fly or something to mess up his averages because he's got a lower on base. He's got a lower on base than average. I don't think that happens very often to a guy like Barry Bonds. Dude, if I if I can hold Bonds to a 263 on base, that's pretty damn good. Yeah. By yeah. the way, I, I'll tell you a stupid little story here, and I'm sorry, but so in in o, o two, I was with the Rockies. We had a Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday against the damn Giants, right? So I come in, I face Bonds Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. We get up Sunday morning. I get up, whatever. My wife's there, my kids, and my wife goes, hey, did you watch SportsCenter this morning? I'm like, no. They're like, you know, you're one of only three guys. It said you're one of only three guys that have faced Bonds a minimum of like 35 times or whatever that he hasn't hit a home runoff up. And I'm like, why would you say that? <laughs> like literally. And she goes, well, I don't believe in that. I go, well, I do. So anyway, they take mm. me to the game. I, I ride share with the buddy in, right? Sure enough, I come in seventh inning, face bonds. I throw him a first pitch heater. He pulls it foul. So I'm like, I've never thrown him a changeup. I'm a, I'm a, he's way out in front. I throw him a changeup. He reloads and hit it in the second deck. 
he's looking at me, he winks and he goes, I got you. And I'm like, yeah. And I like Barry. I got along with him. But after the game, we were back in the family area. They were leaving. He sees me, he comes up, he hugs me. He's like, dude, I wasn't trying to be an asshole. I go, no, I know you weren't. He goes, but did you see that shit on Sports Center this morning? I'm like, damn. <laughs> I knew he was going to say that too. And, and I was I looking at your stats. I saw one home run. I'm like, this is not ending well. That was it. Funny. <gasps> that is funny. That was it. And I looked at it pointed right at my wife and I said, you can blame her because she brought it up. He looked at her. He goes, you did not bring that up to him. She goes, I didn't know. And I'm like, well, he goes, now, you know, <laughs> now you know, uh, that's great. Oh man. Oh, man. I appreciate it, brother. This was yeah. awesome. Thanks for having yeah, me. We'll, uh, we'll get, we'll get this chopped up, but Hey, uh, thanks for, for you guys and for the listeners sticking it out with us on that 90s baseball pod through a little bit of technical difficulties today. Uh, what a fun hour and change. I'll go through, chop it up, but thank you again so much to Kent Merker. You can follow him on Twitter. M-E-R-C-K-50 for Greg Olson and Brandon Warren signing off saying thank you so much for checking out that 90s baseball pod powered by XS Twins. We'll catch you next week. Peace.